Today's teaching text comes from Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Today we gather virtually, carrying with us the full weight of emotion that we have collected over the last few days and the culmination of months, really, of fear and confusion, hostility, anger, uh, and for many, disillusionment. The amount of loss that we have experienced collectively and individually has been staggering. Now, before I begin, I want to acknowledge that uh, I am an immigrant, one uh, of which my kids say I have a funny accent, speaking mostly to citizens for whom this story leading up to this moment has been much longer and much deeper than mine. About 16 years ago, when we still lived in South Africa, uh, we experienced a loss of an unborn, unborn child in this nation. It was a traumatic experience, as you can imagine. But in that moment, we realized we heard something of the whispers of God that our bleeding, our loss for the, in this nation will not be in vain. And that God has called us to love this place and to serve here in ways that we were yet to imagine. And so we counted a privilege to go through this moment with the church as gracious and generous as you. Lisa and I would have voted in this election were it not for COVID uh, that has delayed our citizenship process. The pandemic has bruised our nation. So much death, heartbreak, and many of you have experienced various levels of despair. And now we're adding to all of that months of heartache. We're adding a great divide, not just in our nation, but in families and possibly even in church. It is spoken of as an aisle separating two groups with differing visions of what the good life is supposed to look like. But I find it's a little more like a wound splitting the soul of the nation and the church. At times, I've heard both sides be flabbergasted at the idea that believers on the other side could believe in such differing views. And we label the other side irrational. We villainize. We slander. It's so easy to do. St. Peter's encouragement for unity in marriage, when, when we read about it in Scripture, is that um, uh, unity happens by have, living with understanding with the other. And let's be reminded, let us not be fooled. Unity in any space will not happen in any other way. One writer this week said, Our inability to understand the rationality of an opposing viewpoint is more often a failure of imagination on our part than a failure of rationality on theirs. We are not the first to face this deep wound. Uh, in fact, when Malachi was one year old, 
uh, Lisa and I stood uh, at the Lincoln Memorial reading Lincoln's second inaugurational address carved into stone. And these words gripped me about the two sides of the Civil War. He says this, Both sides read the same Bible and pray to the same God and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge not that we might not be judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty God has His own purposes. Lisa and I walked away that day committed to naming our next born son, Lincoln. The Almighty God has His own purposes. And Jesus, in the series that we're in, the Beatitudes, He is writing His own manifesto about what that looks like, what it's supposed to be. And today is supposed to be about the last Beatitude. And before we get there, I just want to acknowledge there is so much in this moment that we do not know. I'm recording this uh, about at noontime on Friday, uh, which means two days would have passed before you see it because the editing team has to do their job. We're so grateful for what they have done in this very unprecedented time. Thank you for your work. Now, things might not have changed by the time you watch this, or they, might, or they might, may have changed very significantly, but questions will arise. Questions like, what will happen over the next few months with legal challenges and the end results of this election? What will life be like under the ultimately New, new or currently elected president? Will we be safe under their leadership? Will the economy bounce back? Will minorities and previously oppressed communities be given the liberty and justice for all that this country promises? Will the sanctity of life be preserved? Should we consider moving, leaving, finding greener pastures? Will I be safe with my minority perspective in the city that I live or even more in this church that I call family? Was the election ultimately fair, legal, trustworthy? And more and more, these questions are confusing and anxiety inspiring. But church, there are things we do know. We serve a God that does not change. He is the God of Abraham, but he's also the God of Abraham Lincoln, who faced not the same but similar challenges. The God we serve is Emmanuel, God with us, a God who does not leave us on our own to fend for ourselves. First, he was with us in Christ at great cost to himself. And now by his spirit, he is with us. Uh, let me remind you, he said it is better that the spirit is with us rather than him in person, even in a moment like this. We do not face this moment alone in your homes, your families, your church, our nation. We do not face this alone. Isaiah's prophecy is one where we were promised a savior who is present. I made a new friend in Alpha over the last few weeks. And I believe she does not identify as uh, a Christian or following Christ, but she said something profound. She found great comfort 
and the kind of help she needs when she considers the idea that she's trapped in a room surrounded by darkness and identifies with the Savior that is willing to come and sit in that darkness with her. Church, the good news is that the God we serve was willing to come into the darkness with us, sympathize, identify with our weaknesses, our trouble, our despair. If you've asked in some form the question, God, where are you over the last few months? You are not alone. He had to ask that first. God, why have you forsaken me? He cries on the cross. Christ himself walked a path that we can identify with. He knows what it is to be ruled by an oppressive regime. And when Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane became violent, thinking to overthrow that empire, he said, that's not how my kingdom works. And what he does is spectacular. He undoes the violence, the hate and the harm in that moment. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Secondly, we serve the God who sees. El Roy is the name that God reveals himself as in uh, Genesis 16 for the first time in Scripture. And it is a beautiful text where he shows himself to a lady named Hagar. She was rejected. She was fearful. She was alone. She had no future that she could imagine. And he comes and he finds her on her own and he reminds her that he sees her where she is hiding. And he wants to remind us today that whatever unfair or underrepresented place we feel like we're in as she was, he sees. And your fear and your suffering and your pain does not go unnoticed to the God of the universe. We serve the God who raises up kings and rulers and removes them. Daniel 2 tells us that there is not a ruler that comes into place without God knowing about it. None of it surprises God. The outcome of this election does not surprise him, nor does it shake his throne or confidence. This does not mean he endorses these leaders, whoever they may be. It just means that nothing of what happens happens outside of his omniscience and power. So if your person wins, it's a good time to meditate on the fact that we don't trust in the strength of our army, in our president or our party or our nation. We don't look to those things, but we look to the king of kings who is present, who sees me, the one person in the midst of 150 million votes and his sovereignty is not threatened. And if your person lost, it is a healing balm to throw yourself into the safe hands of the living God and trust that he is the one that says gives life and life abundantly, not a political ideology or the fact that your party won or didn't win. And so please know this. Please hear this. Church, as pastors, as elders, as staff, we are praying for you continually, relentlessly that you would find solace in the King of Kings, no matter what happens. Please know this, that no matter who you are, you are welcome here at this church. Firstly, because you are made in the image of God, that you don't come as red or blue, victorious or defeated. You come as you are. And in this place, you are loved. And in this place, we trust that we are all changed and formed further into the image of God. 
Thirdly, remember this, that this church is called to be ministers of reconciliation. Displaying the reconciliation that we have received by Christ to the Father. We are to represent Him and be salt and light in a dark world. And our purpose, our role in this nation is more important than ever. We are called for such a moment as this. Last week, Caleb spoke about our citizenship being in heaven, that our primary allegiance is with God and not with any other humanly crafted thing. We are strangers here on earth. We are not first Republicans, Democrats, or any other identifier before we are the children of God. Citizens of a new world. A world that plays by different rules. And here is the reality that we need to be aware of. When we declare our allegiance to God and His kingdom, we do not step into friendly territory. What do I mean? Christians are called to fight for things that matter to God, even when doing so makes us unpopular or puts us at risk. And the text today reminds us, reminds us that that is the guarantee that we will face. Persecution. And here's why. There is no neutral ground when it comes to spiritual allegiance. There is no neutral ground. Remember Jesus' words, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so our text today is about persecution. And it, it seems strange at first. Blessed are. And we're going to look at that. What is it? Why it happens? How we should respond? So let's start with that. What is it? The idea of persecution runs through the whole of scriptures. And I guess it could be summed up as the mistreatment of a person or a people group because of their beliefs or practices. This could be physical, psychological, economical, social, but pain, distress and loss that was afflicted on persons of faith because of their beliefs and practices. Here's what our text says. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are those. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is not people um, being mean to us because we did something untowards or just random acts of violence. We're not talking about that today. We're talking about because of our faith and identifying with Jesus Christ and His righteousness, experiencing resistance and opposition of many different kinds. When we align with God and His kingdom, the first thing we have to know after uh, Caleb led us into this place of saying, yes, our first allegiance is with God. When that happens, Jesus is saying, please remember, you need to expect resistance. Because sometimes we are taught a gospel that says, if you choose God, everything will go better. If this happens, everything will go fine and right. And that is not the promise of Jesus in this text. This is not new. The idea of persecution is not new. The prophets were persecuted. Um, the, Jew, the Jewish people were, were, were persecuted by other nations. The early church uh, leaders and people were, were persecuted by the Jewish religious leaders. Then the early, ch early church was persecuted by Roman authorities. The church over history has been persecuted by governments. The church 
over history has been persecuted by other religious or political groups. Persecution comes in all shapes and forms. Some examples that we find in scripture is, uh, are verbal abuses, seizures of property, beatings, murder plots, stoning, unjust uh, uh, arrests and imprisonments, exile, execution, and more. Now, we don't get murdered for being of the Christian faith or identifying with Christ here in the United States of America. And we are certainly extremely grateful for that. But one challenge to that is that we might be quite unaware of the kind of persecution that happens around the world based on faith. The Center for Study of Global Christianity says uh, an estimate of 900,000 Christians have been martyred in the last decade equating to about 90,000 a year and one every six minutes. Now, those stats can be disputed, but what cannot be disputed is that physical bodily harm still happens all around the world. In fact, 60 countries are identified where Christians could be physically uh, facing danger of many different kinds. But what does persecution look like for us in our day, in our city? It maybe looks a bit more like discrimination. It maybe looks uh, like there, there are lesser chances for you to find a particular job because of that. Maybe it looks like ridicule or embarrassment. <clears throat> Perhaps it's more like just general resistance or opposition. And that is what Jesus makes sure in this text we should be prepared for. Why? What is he doing? <clears throat> Here's an overview. The first three Beatitudes go like this. Blessed are the poor, the mourning, and the meek. And he's describing almost like steps of, of, uh, towards a posture of emptiness. Those first three Beatitudes describe the emptying of our pride and, and how we see ourselves. And so he prepares us for emptiness because what happens when we're empty, we can hunger again. And the fourth one then addresses this because he says, Blessed are those then who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's righteousness again. The fourth beatitude and the eighth beatitude, which is the one we're dealing with, have the same implications. Only when we are empty can we hunger and thirst and be filled again. Then the next three beatitudes, number five to seven, basically seem like they are kind of beatitudes that fill us. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. And describes what this journey of righteousness and seeking righteousness then looks like. And the last one then becomes a warning, a description, a promise that those who go down this path will face resistance. In fact, could I say that it is not just a promise, but maybe call it as something as strong as a prophecy? Why? Well, Jesus is describing the way of the kingdom. And he is saying that it is inevitable that you will face resistance and opposition of all kinds. It has to happen because the kingdom of God is about the reign of God. And whenever another power sees their reign coming to an end, they are threatened and they will respond. 
Therefore, when power is taken from one authority, there is a visceral response from those authority. We see it over and over again. When people choose the kingdom of God, we see all kinds of opposition and resistance happening in their life. And when we don't expect it, we are floored by it, surprised by it, and we don't know how to deal with it. And Jesus, looking ahead, prophesying about what life would be like because he understands spiritual warfare, is saying, do not be surprised. But he is also not calling us to endure anything that he was not willing to endure himself. It is not just a description or a prophecy about what life in the kingdom is like. Because he was Emmanuel God with us, he faced the full gambit of persecution because he lived true to his own way. Persecution still happens today because his righteousness still confronts today. It confronts our sinful nature in a battle for authority over our souls. It confronts the systemic evil in our world, the systemic injustices in our world, because it is a battle for authority in our world. And it confronts God's enemy, Satan himself, because it is a battle for authority in the world. We cannot live in the way of Jesus without much opposition. Now, because it is a war of kingdoms, it is important to say this. Because it is about authority, we say this. Psalm 89 says that your throne, the foundations of it is righteousness and justice. That is the foundation of the authority that we are pledging allegiance to. And therefore, we cannot see his kingdom without seeing righteousness restored. And we cannot see righteousness restored without seeing justice coming. We can't see justice without reconciliation and restitution. And that is why we have been made ministers of reconciliation as Christ did for us. One problem with our theology is that we're satisfied with the imputed righteousness that comes at salvation. And we leave it there and we don't live it out. But, but, but church, hear me carefully. No one gets persecuted for imputed righteousness that is not seen to the outside world. Persecution only comes when we live out the justice and righteousness of God. And those actions confront the spiritual authorities that we have in this world. And so Jesus is warning us that it will come. So how do I prepare and how do I respond to this resistance? Firstly, if it is not happening, we have to ask the question, why is this not happening? Why am I not seeing the, the resistance or the opposition? We're not out looking for pain. That's not what we're seeing. But wherever the kingdom of God is advancing, other authorities who are losing power will not be happy. Secondly, that means we need to expect it. We need to believe that we can't live out our faith pursuing, acting upon Christ's righteousness that he intends without opposing our culture. Listen to Paul, 2 Timothy 3. All who live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. John 15, 20. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you too. A servant is not greater than his master. Remember, they do it because of me. Don't take it personally. Next, we need to ground ourselves in joy. It says in, in Scripture, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. The cross, the ultimate representation of the persecution that he had to endure. 
Now, uh, this, this was beautiful when I, when I read it. Tarana Burke um, asked about the pain, uh, when she was asked about the pain and trauma that initiated uh, a movement of speaking out against abuse of women sexually and the fight to be heard and to be believed, said this, I am grounded in joy. I am not grounded in the trauma anymore. Now, to be grounded in joy is not a disconnection from reality. It is assigning greater value to the purpose of the persecution and to the end of the story, greater, a greater value to that than holding what we only know now as our greatest understanding. It's believing in a better future. And therefore, we can seek joy. Jesus says in the same Uh, part of scripture, Matthew 5, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Jesus on the cross lived this out when he said, forgive them, God, for they know not what they are doing. And so there has to be an acknowledgement that it is not upon us, upon our shoulders to retaliate in those moments. It is upon our shoulders to seek ways to love those who oppose us. To pray for them and not to pray for them uh, to be smited by God, but to pray for them to experience the kingdom of God. It's funny when Jesus uh, uh, taught us to pray, he simply said, pray this, let your kingdom come. The next thing we do is we go, firstly, we rush to God. We rush to the Father, to his presence. Caleb reminded me of the psalm in the lecture this morning. Um, here are some excerpts, Psalm uh, 69. I will, pr- uh, and this is a psalm where, where he was just like persecuted. And he said, I'm, I've done nothing wrong and people are after me for your sake, God. And this is his response. I will praise the name of God with song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. When the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. For the Lord hears the needy and he he does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. Go to God in tears and confession. Go to God in joy and praise. Find joy in His presence because it is there to be found. George Arthur Buttrick uh, made a statement on God's authority taking place in our hearts when he said, Jesus is crowned again and again in the hearts of those who believe amidst confession and tears and great laughter. The kingdom comes. And then lastly, Entrust yourself into the hands of a loving father. Jesus is mentioned in 1 Peter 2. This is the text. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 2 Thessalonians 1. God is just and he will pay back trouble. Romans 12, do not retaliate. This means we do not retaliate. We trust our lives as Jesus commanded and as he displayed into the hands of a loving father who is on the throne. Listen to this uh, excerpt from one of your leaders who wrote this to me, and I was so encouraged by it. As I have reflected on this week 
and all the weeks prior to this strange and significant year, I see God's continued invitation to reckon with all the things I clutch tightly in my hands. The little corners where I refuse Him, the little idols and comforts, all of these things are not rooted in Christ and His kingdom. They will pass away. If I am found in Him, then I must be willing to let it all burn except for Christ. And as I have reckoned, repented, repostured, reoriented to Christ, this I know. God is not calling us to despair, to grieve and to lament perhaps, but never to despair and always to hope. For my hope, for our hope, is in His unshakable kingdom, in His goodness, in His love. He is calling us to joy, to peace, to faithfulness, to self-control, to hope and to love. In this surrender, I find acceptance and I find rest. I find joy and true life. Church, at the end of the storms that we will face, will only remain that which is of the kingdom of God, the unshakable kingdom and its unflappable king. Trust him with me today. This is a prayer I'd love to pray that I read this week from Black Liturgies. Show us, God, the mysteries of joy that we could enter it without becoming numb to the stories that made us. Grant us that lament which tells the truth of our traumas without allowing them to swallow us whole and gain control where they are not welcome. And so, God, we pray. We pray this morning for our nation. We pray this morning for a free and a fair election, for an honest result. We pray for peace in the land that you have given us. And we entrust our lives into the loving, faithful hands of a great and loving Father. Amen.